Open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, as I said before, we go to the Lord's table. I want us to focus on the opening verses of this epistle. Galatians chapter 1, we will be looking at verses 3, 4, and 5. As many of you know, Paul wrote this letter out of deep concern and agony for these churches in Galatia because they were departing from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. If you look with me at chapter 1, verse 6, he says right there after introducing himself, he says in verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. He goes on and in verse 1 of chapter 3 says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? In chapter 5, verse 7, he goes on and he says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who hindered you from continuing to run in the same direction, with the same passion, with the same focus on Christ alone. And so here in this letter in the six chapters, Paul provides a corrective. He says, let me show you, let me point you back to the pure gospel. And he presents to them that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, has nothing to do with your works. And so we have a somewhat of a theme verse here in chapter 2, verse 16. Paul writes, nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. And so in the opening verses, Paul starts out and he says this, basically very short. He says, hi, I'm Paul, and here's the gospel. That's it. And then for the rest of the letter, he explains the gospel further. I want us to read first five verses, and we will then look at verses three through five. Paul says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead to all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And as soon as Paul finishes with this short declaration of the gospel, he doesn't even get into the thanksgiving sections that he usually does in all the rest of his letters. I thank my God, usually how he continues, right? I thank my God for you. And then he lists out various reasons why he's thankful to the Lord for this particular church. Right there, he says, I don't thank my God. I am amazed in verse six. I am amazed that you guys are drawing away 
from the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. So what is the gospel then? Well, he gives us the gospel in first in verses three through four. And, and if you were to summarize these verses, it would look something like this. He says, grace may come to you, verse three, and glory may go to God, verse five, because Jesus gave himself up for us, in verse four. So glo- grace will come down to you, and glory may come to God because of this gift of grace because of this gift of Jesus Christ. And so this is how we're going to break this passage down. Number one, we're going to look at the grace that comes to you. Number two, the gift of Christ. And three, the glory of God, the grace. He opens up and he says, grace to you. And it's really easy if you're like me, to skip over these introductory verses of every epistle. Why? Because if you read Paul, right, all 13 of his letters, they begin this way, grace to you and peace from God our Father, or sort of variation of that. Sometimes he says, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes he leaves it out. But in either way, we we tend to right away jump into the meaty section. Okay, what's he dealing with? Let's figure out the issues, right? And so often we skip the the outline of the entire letter, because that's exactly what this is. This is the outline. This is the introduction to this epistle, grace and peace. It was a typical greeting, ancient letter greeting. Grace here, the the Greek term for grace was oftentimes used to just uh, greet one another formally, like hello, Um, And then peace was also a very familiar term, was also a Hebrew term, right? Shalom. Oftentimes we studied that back in Matthew. Remember Matthew chapter 10 when Jesus sends out his disciples and how did he instruct them to greet them? Greet them with a greeting of peace, shalom. And if they accept you, then stay. If they don't, then shake off the dust and get away from that house, get away from that city and move on. So that was just a typical right, greeting. But to Paul, these terms here, they had much more significance than just simple hello and hello. Double hello, right? Now, the term grace, friends, the term grace for us Christians, it encompasses the entire process of salvation. From start to finish, it is all of grace. We're, we're very familiar with this term grace, right? Our church It has grace in its title, right? For those of you who are wondering what Grace Hill is, right? It's an allusion to Calvary. It's an allusion to Golgotha where grace came down, where it's the basis of grace. And so we're very familiar with this term, but what is grace? How did Paul understand this theological term or this theological concept? And many of you know, if you were to ask be asked this question, what is grace? You would probably answer something like, you know, grace is an unmerited favor. It's undeserved kindness. When you deserve one thing, but in return, you get something else. Undeserved favor to us sinners. Grace, friends, is God's choice to extend the means by which we can have a relationship with God with absolutely nothing, right? when absolutely nothing has changed on our part towards God. 
In other words, God doesn't wait for us to react. God doesn't extend grace because we're looking for God. God doesn't extend grace because we're, we're drawing near to God as scripture calls us over and over. He doesn't give us grace because we have a change of heart towards God. Because if he did that, then that would cease to be grace, right? The Bible is very clear that God's gracious act towards us began Friends, while, while we were yet sinners. And that's one thing we have to understand and constantly keep in mind. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He goes on in verse 10, says, for if while we were yet enemies, we were reconciled to God. While we were yet enemies, God's gracious act towards us was to seek reconciliation. God's initiative, not ours. Ephesians chapter two, another very famous passage, right? Ephesians chapter two, verse one. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And then in verse four, but God... And then verse eight, by grace, you have been saved. Not but you, not but me, but God. While you were dead, but God, being rich in mercy, he caused us to be born again by grace. You have been saved. Paul, in writing second to last letter in 1 Timothy 1.15, says it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save us. Sinners, beloved, while we were enemies of God and dead in our sins, God showed kindness towards us. He gave us his grace. And that grace has absolutely no strings attached to it. He saved us freely. What do we do, right, to to keep this salvation now? Just believe. We, we believe. It, it, we, we don't have to do anything. Because if we have to do something to keep what's been given to us, then it ceases to be a gift, right? In other words, think about this. If I don't know if I give you something and I say, you know, you can keep that if you do this or that, then it, it's no longer a gift, Right? If, if there are any conditions at all to what God did, then it ceases to be grace. It ceases to be gift. Friends, as those who once stood and, and were at war with God, our entire status has been leg- legally changed by God to a relationship of peace with him because of Christ's finished work on the cross. And... Once, by God's sovereign enabling, we do that, we believe. Friends, that relationship with God never changes. All of grace from beginning to end. Grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. Peace is a result of grace. The reason why we have peace, the reason why we have relationship with God, this whole doctrine of adoption, right? Sonship is because of grace. One leads to another. And as we gather tonight to remember and proclaim the death of Christ, I mean, ask yourself, friend, 
Have I experienced such grace? And do I possess this peace with God? Can I testify down in the deepest recesses of my heart that I am a child of God, that I have been graced with full salvation? I am no longer an enemy. I am no longer his adversary, but friend, his beloved, beloved in the son. What a gift of grace. Grace to you and peace from God. It can be yours now. This is how Paul introduces the entire letter. Let it be yours now. Enjoy it now. That comes from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll get back to the second half of this verse. But how can God demonstrate such grace? How, how can God show this kind of grace? Well, verse four, he, he answers and he says, God is free to be gracious to us because of the gift of Christ. God is free to forgive sin. God is free to count us no longer enemies, but friends and beloved because of the gift, grace, gift. Most of us are familiar with what many call the theme verse of the Bible, right? John 3.16. In John 3.16, we can all quote it together, right? For God, right? So loved the world that he gave. Who gave? God gave. God so loved the world that he gave. Gave his only begotten son. The father, friends, if we connect that verse with this verse, then the father gives his son so that the son can give himself. Verse four, who gave himself. The father gives the son so that the son gives himself. Jesus is not coerced into submission. Jesus comes freely. He comes willingly. In fact, at his own trial before the pilot, Jesus testifies and he says, no one can take my life. Listen, no one, you can't take my life. The other quote unquote authority that was there, he couldn't take my life. Why? Because I lay my life down on my own initiative. I lay my life down on my own initiative. In Hebrews chapter 10, we have a picture, sort of behind the scenes look at the conversation between the father and the son. And, and here's how it goes. Verse five of Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, when he, Jesus, comes into the world, he says, he says to the father, sacrifice and offering you have not desired but a body you have prepared for me. And hold burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. You have taken no pleasure. Therefore I said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. I take on the body, Father, because I'm here to do your will. And I'm gonna do your will all the way to the end. Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. He sacrificed himself. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. The essence of the gift, friends, is sacrifice. Gift of Christ, complete sacrifice. The, the word for here in verse four, who gave himself for our sins, it, it clearly has the idea of substitution in place of you were supposed to die. And Jesus comes in and he 
dies for you. He dies for me. He, he is the fulfillment of all the shadows of the Old Testament that pointed to the ultimate sacrifice of Christ. He is the substance that the shadows pointed to. Colossians chapter 2 Look at, look at uh, before we go there in, in chapter, in verse four, who gave himself for our sins? And the question is, how many sins? How much did Christ die for? Colossians 2, 13, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven, having forgiven all our transgressions, all of it. Everything, how? Having nailed it to the cross. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees us against us, which were hostile towards us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And that is why later on in expositing the gospel here in Galatians, Paul can say in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree, having become a curse for us. So we realize that by our, by our very nature and practice of sin, friends, we are unable to save ourselves. That's why it requires a foreign intervention. God, who gives his son, who gives himself for our sins. But once we realize that and, and believe that God gave himself up for our sins, we, the, the result is we need to stop trusting ourselves because he alone is righteous. It is because of his dealing with our sin on the cross that God gives us grace. And now we have peace with God. Now we have peace with God through his son. We, we used to sing this, this psalm. We should resurrect it again. It goes something like this. His robes for mine, a wonderful exchange. Clothed in my sin, Christ suffered neath God's rage. Draped in his righteousness, I'm justified. In Christ I live, for in my place he died. Friends, that is the essence of the gift the essence of the gift is Christ giving himself up. What is the purpose of the gift? He says, so that, verse four, so that he might rescue us from this present age. One commentator said that Christianity is a rescue religion. Christianity is a rescue religion. Think about this. All other religions, they preach that you can help yourself. All other religions look you in the eye and they lie to you and they tell you, you can do it. They're like Home Depot. You know, Home Depot slogan, you can do it. We can help. We'll just bring along, give you the right tools, but you can do it. That's not what Christianity says. Christianity says you can't do it. Even if given all the tools, you can't do it, but he can, Jesus can. Through his death, Jesus 
We are told that he rescues us. This is a very strong term that means to be plucked out. It's what uh, Luke uses in, in Acts chapter 7, where he says that God uh, rescued or plucked Israel out of slavery of Egypt. Plucked them out, rescued them. So what does God rescue us from? We are told that we are rescued here from this present evil age. Present evil age. Maybe you've come across these phrases in the reading of the Bible, this age and the age to come. This age and the age to come. Scripture divides all of history after the fall into these two stages. This age, and this age is is, uh, described in various ways. It is perverse age, it is evil age, it is it is run and, and controlled by Satan. Ephesians chapter 2, let me go there real quick. In which you formerly walked, verse 2, according to the course of this world, according to the course of this age, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That is the description of this age, quote unquote, this age. And if you go back to Galatians, we are told that he rescued us. So he gave himself up so that the purpose of the gift was to rescue us from this evil age. In the Old Testament, the prophets, they uh, would often speak of the age to come, looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And the Messiah would come in and we are told that he would restore all things make all things new. So the age to come would point to this, this Messiah. So we, when he would come, he would inaugurate this age. And so we know from scripture, especially reading through Matthew and then into all the epistles, that this age was inaugurated with Christ's first coming, who came, friends, not as a conquering king to just end all evil, but he came as a humble king so that he may accomplish this rescue mission. And the way to accomplish was not to overcome, but to be overcome and to give himself up for our sins, to deliver us from death and slavery and make us alive. And so through his death, Christ, we are told, he plucks us out from the flood of evil that is being controlled under control of this enemy, which we also get in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for instance, where Paul writes, in whose case the God of this world, the world is exactly the same term as this present age. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they would not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So we who place our faith in Christ are delivered from the power of the enemy who is ruling this present age. And in effect, friends, we are already transferred into the new age where we live under the submission to another Lord. And so if you look at these two ages, they sort of overlap right now. We're living in this time where This second stage hasn't been fully implemented. We are waiting until he comes. We are waiting until Jesus returns back, deals with sin once and for all, 
so that we would forever reign with Christ. But today already, we who are believers in Christ, we have been given a new life, a new lease on life. That's why, that's why Peter says in 1 Peter 2.24, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Why? Why did he do that? So that we might live, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That's why. We are delivered not only from the consequences of sin, friends, but also onto a new life in Christ, a new life in Christ. So that Paul can say in Galatians, if you're there, Galatians 2, verse 20, he could say, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In chapter 6, he adds to this thought in 6.14, he says, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's what happens when you are rescued, when you are plucked out from this, what he calls domain of darkness, from this evil age, and you are giving life so that you may live to Christ, no longer to yourself, no longer to this world, but to Christ. Christian life, friends, is living in this age, the life of the age to come, today. So the goal or the purpose of the gift of Christ is not only to bring forgiveness, but to bring us out of darkness into light, that we may live the light of Christ. And beloved, even though we, we're still walking in this wicked world, we have God's grace and power to live a new kind of life so that we are no longer controlled by our sinful impulses. We live radically different. That is why Christ died. He died for us so that we may be rescued from this present evil age and live to Christ. And then he gives us not only the purpose, but the source. Look at, look at the source according to. So verse four, the reason why this is happening is because according to the plan of God. Notice in verse three, Paul attributes grace and peace from God and Father, right? From God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, two persons, the Father and the Son. And in verse four here, he tells us of the accomplishments of the Son of Christ that he gave himself in order to rescue, and now we find out the father's relationship to the gift. What is it? Well, friends, the whole idea of grace, the whole idea of grace rooted in the grace of Christ was father's idea. That's what, that's what Paul tells us. That the reason why Christ came, right, so that he may rescue us, was Father's idea according to his will. He determined the plan. He came up with the plan. So be assured the call here is, be confident that this grace and peace, they will come to you. They're yours right now because the Father willed it to happen. 
He willed it and his son accomplished it. He performed the work. So that when, think about this, when the son, we find him crying just before that passage that Jan read for us at the beginning when he's in the garden and and he's crying out and he says, Father, if you will, right, if you will, what, for this cup to pass by me, yet not my will but yours be done, we find out that it was in the Father's will for the cup to be removed. Why? Because it was the Father's will for salvation to be accomplished. And you can't remove the cup of wrath for salvation to be completed. It was in the Father's will. No, he willed that Jesus would drink to the last drop the wrath of God that Jesus would experience death, that, friends, you and I might be plucked out, that you and I may be rescued, would be transferred to have life and life everlasting. The Father willed it, and the Son gave it. What a gift. We sing the song, Yet Not I, But Through Christ, right? It begins, What Gift of Grace. Is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. Why? Because everything was given. Everything was given. Remember Isaiah 53, verse 10. Isaiah looking forward to what's going to happen at Calvary and even in the garden. And he says, but the Lord willed or was pleased to crush him, Jesus, putting him to grief. Why? So that he might rescue us from this present evil age. Grace to you because of the gift. Beloved, we today, tonight, we continue to receive God's grace and peace because of this gift his work in life, death, and resurrection. The gospel is all of grace because of the gift. Because of the gift. And friends, all for the glory of God. All for the glory of God. Look what he says. For the glory. To whom be the glory forever. Amen. Paul brings the gospel message to a close with a doxology. He wants to sing praises Ascribe glory to God. He overflows with with thanksgiving to God because, friends, what can be more majestic? What can be more magnificent or more glorious? Right here, verse 5, glory than the accomplishment of Jesus Christ. Absolutely nothing. The word here that we have in our English Bible, forevermore, is exactly the same word as the age, right? Age. So in other words, what he is saying here is to whom be glory from age to age to age to age to age to age. He rescued us from this present age and transferred us into another age, gave us life so that for ages to come from age to age to age to age to age to age, he would get all the glory. That's why we sing to God be the glory 
great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his life in atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. The issue at stake is the glory of God, ultimately. God does it all by himself. Does he need any help? He does it all by himself. He doesn't recruit anyone to help and to assist. Why? Right here. So that from age to age to age to age to age, God would be exalted. That's why. And we as recipients of his grace are the ones who are ascribing glory to him forever. Forever. Jesus is sufficient for us. His grace is abundant. And so tonight as we consider as we come to communion table, we need to be asking ourselves, is Christ sufficient for me today? Do I believe in this sufficient Christ? Have I rested in his work? Or do I still continue to work as if I need to add something and all you're doing is you are dishonoring God by trying to contribute something to him where he says, I gave everything, so that you can be rescued, that is my plan, so that I can get the glory. How do you glorify God? You glorify God by resting in Christ, by believing in him and by abiding in him, by by not trying to contribute, by just saying, bring it on. I am a great sinner, but you are a great savior. Revel in his grace and give him glory. For us who are experiencing this grace, we are called and are encouraged to go to the communion. We're going to sing right now this song. I'll read the lyrics so that we can think through them. Now, why this fear and unbelief? Has not the Father put to grief his spotless Son for us? And will the righteous judge of men condemn me for the debt of sin now canceled at the cross? These are questions that should draw us near. Like, yeah, let us draw near. Why fear? Why this unbelief if the father put his son to grief? Then our sin is canceled at the cross. You draw near with sincere faith and confidence. Complete atonement you have made and by your death have fully paid the debt your people owed. No wrath remains for us to face. None. We're sheltered by your saving grace and sprinkled with your blood. That's why we draw near. And then this confident call, be still my soul and know this peace. The merits of the great high priest have bought you liberty. Rely then on his precious blood Don't fear your banishment from God since Jesus set you free. How did he set you free? Through faith, belief, and rest in Christ. He did it all. He did it all. Father, we want to praise you and thank you.
What an amazing reminder, what an amazing truth of the grace that has come to us so that glory may ascend, so that praise may ascend, so that from every age here on out, we who are the recipients of your grace may extol you, may praise you, may be reminded that it is not in us, it is all of you. And all of us who are going to participate here tonight in this communion, we are just reminded how precious of a price that was paid for us. Oh, I pray, help us to remember Christ. Thank you. Prepare our hearts. Amen.